This is What Goddesses Watch, the fully inclusive film and TV podcast from The Demented Goddess, with me, Soma Ghosh, film critic, talking about international and English-speaking movies and shows about and by women. Art house, dog house, your house. Welcome to What Goddesses Watch, a divinely badass dive into the feminine on screen. Today, we're talking about two films, one fictional, one documentary on queer and polysexual collectives creating their own culture. So who better to have with us than Ms. Muhammad and Ezra Furman? Hi, Ms. Muhammad. Hello. <laughs> Thank you for having me. And hi, Ezra. Hi. I'm honored to be here among goddesses. We're going to start with Fucking With Nobody, which is an auto-fictional comedy by writer-director Hannah Leeru Hauru and writer Lasse Posa from Finland, which is available to stream now on movie.com. And the story is based around Hannah. So... Um, Hannah, who, mm. Hannah, Hannah Lena, who directs and has co-written the film, also stars in the film as a straight feminist filmmaker and queer ally. She has her vampire slash biographic, biographical film of a famous Finnish actress taken away and given to the actress's husband, who is dismissed by Hannah as a fake feminist, partly because of the nation's obsession with the couple's erotic Instagram. So she and her friends, and this is a collective of artists, actors, filmmakers uh, and activists, have a total hoot in this film, mounting a jokey critique of heteroromantic culture through their own Insta and YouTube accounts. And they pose Hannah as falling in love with her gay slash bi friend Eku, played by Samuel Kujala. Uh, who is the boyfriend of their non-binary uh, feminine presenting friend, Ara, played by Pietu Wilkstrom. But when the world goes crazy for this fake romance, uh, Hannah becomes obsessed with it and the group turns on Hannah and accuses her of being a fake feminist. So, guys, um, so Ms. Mohammed first. What, I mean... What expectations, if any, did you have when going into this film? Or, and like, what did you find um, interesting first off when it, when it first started unrolling? I was like, oh God, it's in, it's in, it's in Finnish. So I, <laughs> <laughs> oh no, I've got to read. <laughs> but then, yeah. Because uh, I had absolutely no idea. I didn't read. I didn't read the blurbs because I, I didn't want to watch the trailer before I watched the film. Because sometimes it takes away from the journey. Um, but yeah, I knew nothing going in, and I, I liked the, the critique on, you know, the Instagram couple for sure. This is so relevant. <laughs> but it's also while they're criticizing that reality, you know, it's still a little bit painful because it's a little bit too much like, uh, you know, those people, you know, <laughs> who are monetizing their relationships and everybody's a brand these days and an influencer and whatnot and product placements, etc. And Ezra? Yeah, I didn't, I also went in pretty much cold um <laughs> not knowing really anything about it right away it's like confusingly like be beguilingly meta you know you can't really tell 
what parts of it are a film within a film, what parts are meant to be seen as actors <laughs> playing actors or, or playing themselves. And I it, it had me off balance from the beginning, which I think like is it's I thought it was a strength of the movie that you're sort of confused the whole time about like, wait, which part is real? Mm-hmm. Uh, what parts are performance and what parts are like documentary of performance? You, I didn't quite know where I stood the whole time. There was maybe some fatigue of that by the end of it. <laughs> yeah, I just, I, the, the whole thing was like, okay, it just seems original. I don't, I don't think I've seen a film quite doing that. Yeah, and that, that meta element is really in your face at the same time as the story of mm. what the friends are doing, including, so the story of what the friends are doing within the story that I've just described, and then the story of how they're putting this film together, sometimes mm. in real time, sometimes mm. they're looking back at what happened during this project and whether certain ideas like choosing to use your actual relationship that you had that you had with a cinematographer mm. um, which ended badly um, okay. which is what Hannah does uh, with Lasse who is the cinematographer and the actual cinematographer of the film and um, and, and the co-writer of the film uh, those things blend autofiction and fiction and comedy with this running meta commentary commentary i guess on who owns sexuality mm-hmm. and creativity uh, especially um as miss mohammed said in an age where the self is so out of directed and constantly dramatized through social media i really enjoyed the spontaneity of it but i, I felt and i felt it was it was quite messy and then i kind of came back to enjoying the fact that it was it was just really yeah, messy yeah. and didn't really give a shit. <laughs> you know? I just, I respected, like, I, I had some respect um, for that. But I was really interested in what you guys made of the, the question of um, the seductiveness of hetero romance. So within the film, just for our listeners, there are ex-couples and actual couples. So there's Hannah, who is trying to make this project happen, who's in fact initially persuaded to make this project by the friends as a collective. They're all going to do this together as a queer collective and they're going to send up uh, hetero mainstream as a collective. So there's Hannah and, and, and Lassa, her ex-boyfriend. And then there are the the two lovers, Eku and Ara. And Eku is, is being borrowed or appropriated or perhaps vampired into acting straight um, because he's this gorgeous angelic vision of kind of Leo DiCaprio kind of cutesy muffin faced sex god so the question is that so so what did we think of the seductiveness of hetero romance what do we make of the actual Mm. satire that was mounted Uh, did Mm. it did it bite for you did you find it hilarious or something else Mm. yeah I I kind of got bearding from it, if you know what I mean, when queer actors play straight in real life. Uh, there, was, there was a bit echoes of that for me, which I liked as a statement, <laughs> because it's a problem. And it is, you know, I had this conversation with a queer uh, film director who said, you know, bearding is all about capitalism and, 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 and money and, and being worried about not, you know, if, you do, if you're not in some heteropower couple, then you can't take your career to the next level. 
So beyond just presenting as heterosexual, but becoming part of this power couple that becomes a brand bigger than both, you know, the sum of its parts. Well, no, I, I just, I mean, I was, I was laughing the whole time. You're sort of like going, what the fuck? Oh my God, these people are so deep in this meta irony. I mean, I was interested in the idea that, so they're doing like some kind of ironic feminist takedown of like performative hetero relationships. Mm. And then they just get caught up in the attention they're getting. And they keep being, it's, it's like that phenomenon of like, Oh my god, wouldn't it be funny if we just like, you know, had a fancy photo shoot and with like pouring champagne into each other's mouths and it's all pretend, ha ha ha, we're above yeah. this, but they're actually like, <laughs> this feels so yeah. good. I feel so powerful doing this performance <laughs> and being mm-hmm. seen this way. Yeah, I was, mm. I, sometimes I felt like, I don't know, I wasn't sure if the if the movie was in the end mostly mocking feminist takedowns of hetero romance more than it was mocking of hetero romance you know mm-hmm. um or maybe equally both like the impulse to say that you're above this performative relationship goals mm-hmm. hashtag kind of thing <laughs> and how you just get sucked into it that performance becomes more right. important than what you're trying to s- ironically mm-hmm. say with it mm. i felt like maybe it'd be more resonant a little bit for someone who is more into social media i'm i'm a very like i guess i have to admit this is useful for my business and i'm gonna (laughs) do social media i Mm -hmm. I get how helpful it is Mm -hmm. if it wasn't my job i don't think i would have any of it i don't think i would have an instagram or a Mm. me too like that yeah but i do see a lot of i don't know i mean it's a whole cultural mode of its own to to like perform like my life is just the best and then everyone like (laughs) gives you all these likes and they're like so glad your life is the best for all of us and uh it gets gets really unhealthy you're right yeah that's why i like to mention when i'm really depressed (laughs) keep it real yeah Yeah, you know, because it happens. We we are we are not just one thing, and life isn't always you know going really well. For God's sake, we're surviving a pandemic. Jesus, have a breakdown. If you're not gonna have a breakdown during this time, I mean, when is a good time for you? <laughs> As those people who got really productive during the lockdowns, I'm like, okay. Go to therapy because I mean you're just running from yeah. something with all of this overachieving. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> just not sad for a day. Oh wait, what? How is that possible? According to their social media, of course, that's what I mean. But I saw a lot of that. Mm. Yeah, and I guess like this film like starts with that as the as the thing that's being mocked and taken down but then it becomes a takedown of the takedown yeah and like in yeah, inception kind of it's it's really like <laughs> dream within it's kind dream. of up its own ass yeah, you know sure. it's, but it's but it's like joyfully <laughs> up its own ass it like it's like let's go all the way up <laughs> yeah yeah in that art house way yeah yeah i think the um just the 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 quick-witted fun when they're in the collaborative stage mm. of coming up with mm-hmm. these different poses. So 
whether it's doing a going ice skating and being given a bouquet on the ice um, or whether it's going to Ikea um, or whether it is um, being in the bathroom and putting mud masks over each other. I appreciated that quick-witted um, collaborative energy and that sort of that fast-paced image creation that was necessitated by the project actually did make me think about the image creation we do to ourselves when it comes to relationships, wherever we stand on the spectrum of sexuality. And in the film, relationships become unseated by the project, don't they? Right. So, yeah. So, uh, um, so Ara and, and Eku, um, who I would have liked to have seen a lot more of, who are a really interesting couple. Yeah. Um, they, they, they have their romance, um, disrupted and, and it's interesting that, that, that Ara, uh, actually has a fantasy of being, of a, of going on a, on a 1970s curlers in the hair and white flouncy dress disco dinner date with Eku in a silken tux. That's, that's one of their fantasies, which is, a kind of, of course, is a, you could see it as a pastiche of, uh, a heteromance. So you could just see it just as, just as a fantasy. And the couples themselves start to, this, this whole line of where is the fantasy for them starts to blur. Um, and I think that the high point of the satire for me, and I think as Ezra was saying, speaking of go being up its own, being up its own ass, uh, let's definitely use the American pronunciation. Um, <laughs> Thank yeah. you. That makes me feel more comfortable. Um, is it, the high, one of the high points of the satire is is the uh, the ex boyfriend uh, Lasse trying to say like what would be the most daring thing and and all he can come up with as a fantasy is being in an S M S and M club where people are shitting down through the cage onto him. So those, those, those kind of like, it just, it looks extreme follow it. Um, or his fantasy of an immaculate conception with Hannah, um, thereby mounting a kind of hetero revenge as he's starting to get really pissed off with her right. basically falling in love with Eku, who's supposed to be fucking gay and is supposed to be with Ara. Um, so Lasse has this fantasy about sperming up a dildo and, inserting it into the shoot so so that kind of anarchy um i found really unusual um and provocative so things like he's mine writing his he's mine in mud um together in 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 the bathroom i thought was quite sexy but then i was just reading that apparently this is this is like i'm just part of the stuffy patriarchal hegemony if i I think if i if i think that um and and (laughs) well and it was, but it was interesting that against all of that satire, there was this deeper theme that occasionally bobbed up of deeper, of longing for intimacy and lost romance. Like when we see Hannah and Lasse fighting in the car over what they're doing or in Eku and Ara's flat. So there seems to be these two elements of like really extreme satire to the point of grotesquerie, but there is this sort of peeping through follow-up question to that maybe was does it matter whether fantasies are commonly designated as hetero or not when you are 
a queer feminist collective, which would be bringing us on to the next film. I, so does it matter? I, to me, what matters is that is it, on, it only matters if it starts to push away queer people. And that's what happens in the film is like, it starts as like this queer group project of a bunch of artists. And then like, little by little, the queer characters are more and more marginalized and, and sidelined and not part of it anymore. And then they leave in anger or in just loneliness as in the case of like Ara, the non-binary partner of of the lead actor in this yeah, romance. And like, yeah, just the process of like it starts as a a an ironic parody of heterosexual performative romance and then it actually becomes self so self-centered that like the queer people are not part of it anymore they get alienated so like that's what that's the destructive thing it's not any particular fantasy and i think like ara this queer character having this sort of 70s hetero fantasy shows that like that's a fine that's a there's nothing wrong with the fantasy of heterosexuality the thing about heterosexuality that is corrosive is that it like pushes everything else away and it's completely self-obsessed and did you find that the that the vampiric lines so everybody who's made this film is clearly very clever um and so (laughs) they're constantly putting in various kind of kind of kind of catch catch fails um one of these seems to be um that uh it that all art is vampiric um, and that the second that you start to uh, try and create something, which is what happens with Hannah, you just want to overtake it. And I think all of us as artists here can maybe confess to you, like having a little bit of that impulse. I mean, I know I've got to admit I'm I'm big vampire. Apart from the fact, apart from the fact, obviously that I'm seven thousand five hundred nineteen years old. <laughs> and but... then you sleep in a coffin. Oh, yeah, yeah. That did that catch all excuse um, the appropriation than Ms. Muhammad? Who? Uh, I. You know what? You're much deeper than me. Clearly, when it comes to <laughs> consuming films, <laughs> but I, I like that about myself. I'm like a, a kind of a dim. You know, when I'm watching, because I've ruined music. You know what I mean? Like I can't just listen to it. it it pains me some of it that's popular. I'm like, why? Oh God, it's like a knife through the gut, right? So I don't want to ever look at uh, consume films in the same way. So they get to be a brain vacation for me. But yeah, I I, I didn't get that until you <laughs> until you said. It. But yeah, I, now I do. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so I, I definitely get that that statement now. There were so many though. There were so many statements and. For just a second time, mm. director, this is Hannah Liru Haru's second feature film. I think she brought them off largely with aplomb, mm. creating this savvy, chaotic vibe that's somewhat like a an improvised stand-up. So here at What Goddesses Watch, we have a we don't do we don't do ratings, but in honor of Lorraine Hansbury, <laughs> we do highs and lows, uh, which is called Hansbury and Pantsbury. Um, so it's, so, so Hansbury is like, Hansbury awards, like what you give, what, what would be, what would be your Hansbury 
for uh fucking with nobody it's it's greatest strength mm-hmm. um so mine for example would be it's comic boundless comic energy and irony mm-hmm. um and it's provocative um i did find it i did find it was pro- pro- you know provoking questions mm-hmm. within me uh, and particularly particularly in its simpler um explorations of togetherness uh like is going to ikea okay or is it a stuffy old power structure because of association <laughs> with the, the, the heteromonogamous mm-hmm, family? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, boundless comic energy and provocation would be my Hansbury. Mm. Uh, Ezra, what, what are your Hansbury awards, if any, for this film? <laughs> I haven't seen quite this film before. You know, this is not like a structure of a movie I've seen before. And it kept doing the thing where you're like, you, you think you've got it. And then you're like, wait wait what like um mm. there's that great scene where where they're like like debriefing about how the film's going wrong in the car and then she's like can you stop tapping your finger because i'm gonna have to edit the sound you know and you're like yeah. wait so wait this is also being filmed you know and i just like being <laughs> off balance like that a little bit you know a bit of off balance tita there from ezra um miss mohammed any Hansbury Awards here? Unique, I agree, and relevant to our current dystopian social media existence. Unique and yes. relevant. And Pantsbury, um, for me, I, I think we're, pro- we're probably all going to say something similar along the lines mm. of it. We talked about being up the fundament, <laughs> the ass. Um, but was maybe the, the, the mm. treatment of Krista. Um, so there's Hannah's sexually frustrated older boss um in the film world and she is sexually frustrated in her in her marriage and she just completely mm-hmm. falls in love with the fantasy and the 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 high point of this which was very funny um was her smearing herself um for her dogs and getting them to yeah no, to, I guess to, to come over i guess and- <laughs> it's like oh, no. it was interesting because i loved I love the scene per se. And I thought, yeah, great. Like great as a scene. Um, but my feeling was with that character overall and maybe with the yes. film that it felt a bit ageist it, that, mm. it, that, that, that somehow that if then, and also that if you're an, if you're an older mm. woman who thinks you're a feminist in a het marriage, right. baby, you're not getting enough cunnilingus. <laughs> um, so yeah, that was that. Yeah. Um, what, what about Pansbury's for you guys? No, that, quickly? fully agree. It was, it was definitely, I was waiting for that to say something about the dog scene. I was like, no. (laughs) (laughs) But I agree. Yes. That character is a little bit, um, underwritten. Yeah. I agree. Ez? I'm sure the director would have something to say about this criticism, but like, I just thought that the queer characters were going to be more important in the end and they were actually sidelined. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. It was sort of... It's so meta. Like, the movie is about that, <laughs> like, corrosive, mm-hmm. self-centered process and yet it still, like, perpetrated it. So I'm like, you could have you could have broken away from that more, you know? Sometimes sure. that's the thing that, like, overly conceptual movies do they like they're like there's like there's no hope for being any way but this crappy way that i am when i don't try to be better you know i think like 
That's what I. That's what I think a lot <laughs> when I watch like Charlie yeah. Kaufman movies. He's like, "There's no solution to this fundamental impossibility of relationships," and I'm like, "Well, if you keep saying that, then there's not. You know, you should like <laughs> grow up and try." <laughs> More recent Charlie Kaufman movies, I I really felt that about like just like take a deep breath, get out of your head. And, and and there's definitely this this meta excuse for work, whether it's in 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 any genre, and it's there in literature as as well. But perhaps there's that thing of like once I've understood the concept, I just carry on fiddling and playing with the concept and showing how well I understand the concept. Uh, and I'm so busy showing how well I understand the concept, there is maybe like something a bit static about it. And I thought that it got a bit weaker towards the end because of that static quality, actually. Um, whereas Rebel Dykes, which we're going to talk about next, uh, for me, was just ebullient all the way through. So Rebel Dykes by Harry Shanahan and Sean A. Williams and produced by Rebel Dyke Siobhan Fahi, who appears in the film, is showing in cinemas and online at BFI Player and Bohemia Euphoria from the 26th of November with a UK-wide live tour with Rebel Dykes till the 18th of December. And Rebel Dykes is a documentary mashup of rare 80s archival video animation and music telling the hitherto lost, would you believe it, story of the London Rebel Dykes, a (laughs) friendship circle of artists, performers and activists who fused sex, art and politics in a revolutionary yet it's totally spontaneous scene. And we follow them uh, over the years, uh, they survive Thatcherite homophobia and clashes with feminists who attack them uh, physically as well as verbally for their pioneering uh, nightclub chain reaction, S&M, queer nightclub. And we then end up discovering how that period of fighting for their creative freedom has affected their lives today. Um, so what your first visceral initial reaction mm. Ms. Mohammed. Oh, well, they had me at Rebel Dykes, you know. <laughs> yeah. It's right up my street. But <laughs> I was weird. I was watching it. I was like 20 minutes in and I texted my girlfriend. I was like, oh my God, I know like three of the talking heads in this film already. How have I not seen it? Um, I knew Debbie was in it. Uh, Debbie Smith, uh, guitar player. And um, I love the cartoon version of her. And that's really cool and iconic. Um, and I know Debbie's a badass, but I didn't know the history, you know? And I'm always talking about, oh my God, young queers don't have any respect for the elders. <laughs> and here I am, I know this person and I didn't know the story, you know? I'm like, oh, I don't know my own history. Um, so this was really fun for me and I can't wait to see her in real life again and talk about this. I just, I loved it. Everything, it was so well done and well edited and, the music and everything. But I certainly, if I was around then in London, I'm like, I would have been going to that club. <laughs> Chain reaction would have been my thing. <laughs> of course. Ezra, first first visceral reaction. Gut. <sighs> yeah, I'm just like inject this into my veins, you know. I, 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 this is... Yeah. Just the sheer, they, they all look so cool. I mean, like, they were cool. Um, I, I'm always going to be with the faction of the feminists who 
who are refusing to be told what to do or how to properly do feminism you know I, I think there's like it's a interesting debate mm. sometimes there, there is some room for like questioning like uh, why are you into this kind of sex or that but like it's sort of a thing that feminism has always had to beat like I think we have to I don't know resist the urge to like police each other about everything and the urge is strong and I thought the way it was done was particularly I mean commendable for sure but just hugely enjoyable so it's a documentary it's a social history it's a biography of these people who move from peace camp to um, the Greenham Common anti-nuclear peace camp to a Brixton squat and so they didn't unlike the film which we just talked Mm. about fucking with nobody they didn't constantly document themselves which is a really interesting challenge And there have been films in recent years, like the one on lost feminist punk funk goddess Betty Davis, where animation was used and rather smoothed over the struggle. But what got me heart and groin first off about this movie was the cut up style, was the fuzzy photography, was the the grot and the grit, coupled to the sketchy artsiness of... (laughs) the animation because the scene was a a sketch it was a work in progress there was this this um mashup which incorporated video footage of convoys of activists against section 28 reconstructions because they didn't have the the film of abseiling into parliament for example um protest meetings um where the rebel dykes and the queer sex clubs are, are beloved of leather dykes are being challenged and it's all it's got this outsider style to it, which is amplified by the by the by the zines by the zine style animation by Harry Shanahan. And they paste these cartoons of Debbie Rebel Dyke and musician hmm. traveling through photographs of London streets and uh, scenes of the time. Uh, and then there was the music. Um, so and the, the the use of musical rhythms for the drama, punk. Post-punk, eighties mm. electro. So, I mean, I picked up there was there was loads, but there was the petticoats, the poison girls, the mm. gym slips, and it, it was also as we're just talking about, like not being told what to do. The music itself spanned cute, urgent, <laughs> dark, sleazy. Yeah. It's like the the whole throbbing paradox of real sexuality. Mm. And along with the original music as well by Elliot. So just just quickly before we just dig into the central antagonism of the film, obviously I have to ask you two what you thought of the music. I <laughs> loved. I was like looking up all the songs mm. that at the end. I was going through the credits and <laughs> looking oh, things up. Oh hey dog, so cute. <laughs> My dog has joined us. <laughs> um, yeah, and so much is music. You know, like a lot of outsider music, you can't get it on uh, Spotify. It's like the first place I look, of course. I love just like a sampler platter of a music scene, especially one that like takes a little digging to find. Um, Just presented out out (laughs) there for me. Um, I don't know. I I just, I crave queer punk. You know, I crave it and I need more of it. And, And so much of it, like, you know, just didn't, wasn't, didn't gain any notoriety. It was like suppressed or they just didn't have 
you know, very commercial exposure kind of goals. Mm. So, yeah, musically, I really appreciate the existence of this film and its soundtrack. Mm. Yeah, is there a Spotify playlist or something to go with it? I wonder. No. I'm telling you, most of those bands aren't Yeah, on oh my Spotify. God, the music was very, was perfect. And, and, and the perfect amount. Great soundtrack. Yeah, I loved it. It just felt so That's invigorating true. to watch. It's like, oh, I missed yeah. everything cool is how it felt. <laughs> but, you know, we're still talking about all those things, all of the issues that were raised. We're still talking about that now. In terms of the, the antagonism which Ezra flagged, I wonder what you guys thought of how the filmmakers handled the feminist political upset over chain reaction, the leather dyke club of the rebel mm. dyke. So we get to see what what what, what we get to see is um, spaghetti wrestling. <laughs> yeah. We get yeah. to see we get to see bound up sluttery, bound up many fucked sluttery, and we get to um, meet the person who really enjoyed and found liberating yeah. that experience in the present mm. day as well. And we're shown how other feminists mm. felt that the rebel dykes were just yeah. perpetuating mm. stereotypes mm. of power repeating the abuses of power what did you think of how they handled it i mean i think it brings up consensual violence right yeah i think i I just kind of took for granted studying where i did with with bdsm that it's it's just you know there's no issues really like (laughs) do you know what i mean like oh whoa because you know that they said something like oh is there a man in your head like this is just patriarchy internalized and and no (laughs) no it's about personal uh, well i'm speaking i speak for myself it's about personal uh uh liberation and i think there is something in the idea of consensual violence that is about real life violence and some kind of reclaiming or redefining it for some people, I think these things are subconscious, even for myself. I haven't really, I'm going to go think about it now, probably. But, um, <laughs> but, but, you know, yeah, I, I, I loved, I loved that. Uh, Cause I, it, it just didn't, <laughs> I, hadn't, I hadn't thought of that. And I was like, is there a man in my head? You know? <laughs> um, but then that leads us to the male gaze and, and how, how again, how do we, how do we know who we are without the male gaze? Because it's, it's a, it's a fixture of life on earth. It's patriarchy uh, and a system we live under. We don't, we don't know ourselves without it. Yeah, that's right. Mm. I mean, I was, it made me think of this thing that um, transgender feminist writer, Andrea Long Chu uh, has written about in many different iterations, which is basically like, you can't, argue with an orgasm you can't politically <laughs> theorize your way out of being right. turned on you know mm-hmm. um what turns you on turns you on and like um yeah i do think there's room like it's a question worth asking sometimes like why does that turn you on maybe there mm-hmm. are other things that could turn you on that you have never given uh time to never opened yourself to but like to be like 
going into an S&M club and breaking it up on feminist grounds and, like, smashing windows. Like, people whose organization is called Women Against Violence Against Women coming in and, like, like violently destroying yeah. a community of women Shocking. is, like, the most... Mm. Wow, I just, like... I, I almost couldn't believe that that was a real thing that had mm-hmm. happened. When lesbians felt so... They were just more threatened. That's like just everywhere more threatened, mm. less normalized. And sure. I think people responded to that in a very defensive way of their movement. Like, it has to be this certain way. Um, we have to control it. And like, I, it's an understandable impulse. But I think it was the wrong... It, it was totally right. wrong-headed. Also, to me... Well, just the most beautiful thing that can happen, which like what is what this movie was about, is like people finding a place to go, a community to be with each other supportively, and like have good sex. Yeah, have a great time with each other. Yes, (laughs) I need the lesbian line now. (laughs) Where where is it? I know. I want to go to these clubs. It was re- it, it was really interesting how it was handled. In that, obviously, there wasn't any footage from the actual attack. They chose to animate the violence with a cartoon, and of course, it's a technique that is being used right now by Black Lives Matters activists. And the use of comics in um, political discussion has a uh, profound history in the twentieth century. And here, instead of it perhaps feeling like it was a fantasy, maybe it didn't happen. It just, for me, made that violence just hang in the air like a thought bubble. It happened then, it could happen now. So it was a technique that lifted the particular uh, moment in time into the collective psyche of friction and violence. I thought that was excellent. It it was effective in a different way from the uh, fantastic archival footage of this celebratory, no-holds-barred, hands-everywhere, fantastic costumes, you know, being sexy, being butch, being ugly, being like whatever the fuck you want to be, just just owning it. Mm. I would have liked to have understood even more about all of the sex stuff, actually. I mean, maybe this is just because I, like Ms. Muhammad, I just actually want, I just want to be there. I just want to be there doing it. Um, and listeners, if you want to be there doing it, I would propose that you go along to Homo Electric, typically in Manchester, and but, but also often on tour, and um, Love Muscle in Leeds, if you want that kind of completely... Um, loving open community and I wanted a bit more of that loving open community to talk about the creative Mm. aspect because they're all artists Mm. and it was also part of part of what they were doing was performance art and I understand that having an antagonist in any story gels it and it's there from the start Mm. because we're just we're thrown into activist debates actually happening as the other feminists call out the dykes uh, for being abusive but I think if I wanted, if there was anything I wanted more of, it was actually understanding and hearing from the Dykes themselves, even more of, of like why it was, why it was liberating. So what are your Hansbury and Pantsbury moments? So Ms. Mohammed. This is going to be, it's going to be hard because I love so much of it. 
Gosh, well, it was just it was just so invigorating, and it felt like a little shot of um, everything my soul needs, especially right now, which is like a great club to go to <laughs> with with like tribal people and and you know, but also like the politics go out and fight things. We, I mean, look at look at our present day. We we you know, is this government better than Thatcher? No. Um, <laughs> where's this energy? I want I want to find this energy now in present day London, you know, or anywhere on our little island um, <laughs> against what is, you know, the, the fascism that's coming and, and, and being normalized and that they're getting away with. I want, yeah, I want to find that energy. So that for me was the most inspiring bit. Mm. And Ezra? I just like how self-told it was. Um they just they they talk to the people who who were there you know that's like yeah like you i wanted just more first person perspective but they had like a lot of that i appreciated that it like didn't ever like cut to some academic or something or like a historian <laughs> yeah, yeah i want to i want to hear from the the relevant um players and i like i fullheartedly recommend this film i mean if there was any weakness, I mean, there was a little, it was touches of like, you know, we invented it, like, <laughs> like that, not good old days kind of thing, but like, we were more real than anybody. And I don't know, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm skeptical. I think I also have like, I'm on the lookout for that, like, people being like, back in our day, it was like, that was the real shit, you know, back then, you would have had to dig to find that community. Today you got to dig to find the community that's like that, and it, and I do think that energy is there, and it's it's like that same energy is like surging. Yeah, I totally agree. Yes, and I don't want the party to be over. <laughs> and like you're just you're just here at the drags, and but in my personal experience just isn't like that, um, and uh, not at what goddesses watch, nor at the demented goddess. Um, our associated magazine. Um, we talked a lot about the cha- the chaotic, immersive, um, self-told DIY nature of this. Um, I also thought like a huge strength of it was how it maintained this very strong narrative line. So you you, you got a really clear story alongside the, the, these the, mm. this this lovely patch this lovely um, anarchic patchwork, and that's really impressive. Uh, these guys are first-time filmmakers. They had previously um, made videos for bands, and uh, I have to say that one of one of my apprehensions about it initially um, was just that was just came from the trailer and some of the stuff that I heard about it was: is it going to be one of those social mm. documentaries that is in fact an extended music video? Um, and you know, to, to to my taste, there are far more. Uh, lauded directors, um, Spike Lee, for example, whose films are essentially just like a one long music video. So it's like, <laughs> I wish you had just gone off and just made a music video, quite frankly. But here, it was the control that was, I, 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 I thought this is, this is, this is proper artistic filmmaking where mm-hmm. you have the openness of the methods mm-hmm. and then it's all brought together and there's this clear narrative line. I find the same. Uh, DIY arty bricolage energy seen in the style in of this film as as well as its content certainly in the UK in uh, 
queer and straight feminist inclusive clubbing culture. But the importance of all identities being represented, um, it just seems to be just riven with strife. You know, today still, uh, it's, it, 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 it's, it, it, it's hard. Like, I think we, we all, probably believe in tolerance for all but what we've covered in um this podcast is that curious way in which certain factions or dominant um groups will claim that identity needs to be one way and it's particularly painful when you might imagine that you are a feminist you're a punk that you're left wing but somebody else is telling you no you're not at all um you're getting everything you're getting everything wrong so the fact that that was covered even though for for me the my my slight um kind of question mark was did we need to focus on the antagonism could we have done it another way and had more about the creativity i thought it kind of made the freedom of it stronger to hear from the the factions those antagonistic factions yeah, and also, it's just nice to see 80s feminists be, like, how I would want them to have been, you know? Because you, it's like, sometimes you just hear a lot about, like, I don't know, older feminists are going to be stodgy, they're going to be, like, not, they're going to be skeptical of youth, they won't be trans-inclusive, and, um, which is true of, yeah, plenty of people, but... I don't know. I want to hang out with all the main people in this movie. Um, so let's go out to some sex clubs. Us three, let's do it. Like, <laughs> yeah, let's do it. I'm in. <laughs> the sex coven. The, the, the what goddesses watch yeah. sex coven. Yay. See you okay, at home all so we have taken away like a couple of things. One, we're yeah. forming a sex club. Cool. Okay. Two, Miss Mohammed <laughs> says if you haven't had your breakdown yet, she's giving you a free pass. Yes. To if you're a proper punk, just quit all this trying to be productive shit. <laughs> Hashtag my time, my pandemic, my breakdown. Listen, I've had my <laughs> breakdown, but I'll have another. I'll take another one, please. Thank you. <laughs> I, I lost count. I don't know at this point. <laughs> Become a member of What Goddesses Watch from as little as £1 a month and get advanced shows and exclusive videos of all the fun of our podcasts. Hit us up at Patreon on What Goddesses Watch where you can talk to us directly or if you're listening on rss.com, go to our homepage and hit the donate button. You have been listening to What Goddesses Watch, hosted and produced by Soma Ghosh, audio produced by Creva Laval, with music by Penelope Traps. 